Would you please open your Bibles to John chapter 15. It's not like me to use pictures in my sermons, but I'm going to today. What do you do when you see a sign like this? There, there you go. There's some people like that. Then when they see a sign like this, they're unaffected. Um, they may even speed up. It doesn't hinder how they act at all. Others, I think of my late mother-in-law, would be tempted by looking at a sign like this to turn around, to find a different road to take. It looks much too dangerous, especially if there's weather or things along those lines. But let me just say at the get-go that neither of these responses are the appropriate response to this sign. You see, this sign is not a road-closed sign. This sign is a caution sign. It's not meant to get you off of the road, but it is meant to keep you on the road, if I can put it that way. You shouldn't turn around and take a different road, but you should also conduct yourself in such a way that you do not fall off the road. It is a caution sign. We encounter a similar caution sign in our passage this morning, but it looks more like this. Caution. Hatred. Ahead. This is the warning sign that Jesus gives His disciples in His farewell discourse to teach them how to live on mission between His first coming and His second coming. If you'll recall, last week, Jesus was very clear what He wants from the church. He wants us to bear fruit, much fruit. And He went on to teach us that part of that fruit involves the fruit of our mission, the fruit of evangelism. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. This is a reference clearly to the mission given to the apostles and then to us in the church. What will life be like on this road? The mission road. Jesus is very clear this morning. It will be a very hazardous road. It will be met with much hostility. We are tempted to downplay this in our society. Jesus is saying, if you bear witness for me in the world, you will be hated. He doesn't speak in hushed tones. He doesn't lay this all in the fine print. He puts it up there for all of us to see. There will be falling rocks, treacherous weather, roads may be slick, potholes certain, hairpin curves, you can count on it. Hatred ahead. But, That 
is not a road close sign. That's not what it is. You don't turn tail when Jesus tells you that there will be hatred ahead. You don't fall off the road either. You conduct yourself in such a way to stay on the road. Jesus doesn't want to take us out of the world. He wants us in the world, bearing witness to the world. But how do we live in the world that Jesus has promised will hate us while we're on mission? Well, it's good to know that in our passage this morning, there's not only a warning, there's also a promise. There will be hatred ahead, but there is help in the hate. Jesus promises his apostles that he would send the Holy Spirit, the helper, who would help them as they went on mission in the world. And that Holy Spirit is now not only available, but abiding in us as we are on mission, as we learned last week. So there is hate, but there will be help in the hate. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? John 15, beginning in verse 18, and I will read all the way through chapter 16, verse 15. So the hate in the first section, the help in the second. It's interesting to back up to verse 17 where Jesus commanded at the end of our passage last week for his disciples to love one another. Now he switches topics. Verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, A servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you on account of me, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. 
It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not only speak of For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we go on mission, and that's what we're to do, right? As we go on mission, we'll face the world's hate, but we will have the Spirit's help. That's my sermon. We will face the world's hate if we're bearing witness to Christ, but we have the Spirit's help. A warning and a promise. I want to push into both of these this morning. I want to consider why does the world hate the church on mission? And what are the ways the Spirit helps us? Let's begin with the world's hate. You know what the kids say these days? Why you got to be hating? Bad grammar. But that's really the question that we are up against. Why does the world hate us? Jesus tells us that they will, but why does the world hate us? I want to offer three reasons the world hates the church. First, because we're connected to Jesus. Please get this clear in your mind. If the world hates you because you're obnoxious... That's not what this passage is talking about. If the world hates you because you're rude or inconsiderate or you're weird or you're lazy, Jesus is not addressing your problem in this passage. The hatred that he is talking about here is hatred, as verse 21 says, that is on account of him. It's because of your identity with him, your connection to him, your mission for him. That's what Jesus is addressing. And his disciples, and we should not be surprised, they hated Jesus first. Doesn't it follow that they will hate those who follow him, who do what he does, who say what he said? As he says in verse 20, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. They hated Jesus all the way to the cross. He calls his disciples to follow him by taking up their cross. Jesus is giving full disclosure. 
Or let me put it this way. He is telling his disciples throughout his ministry, but I think it's reiterated here, you have to count the cost of following me. What did Dietrich Bonhoeffer say? When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Jesus gives a clear warning to his disciples. There is hatred ahead. There will be a cost. Is it worth it? Is it? Would you like to avoid the hatred of the world? It's interesting. Jesus tells us how. He tells us actually a way we can do things that will make the world love us. It's through living just like them. Look at verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. You see, if you will just adopt the world's values regarding money, for example, embrace materialism, the world will love you. If you'll just embrace the world's sexual ethics, anything goes. Let's celebrate that. The world will love you. But here's the thing. If that's the way you want to go, you will avoid the hatred of the world, but you will also forfeit your soul. In John 12, Jesus says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's the cost that you are to count. Friends, I want you to get something very clear right at the get-go. As we talk about the world, all of us were once a part of the world. Who is the world in the Gospel of John? The world is simply everybody who doesn't believe in Jesus. And so all of you and me, we were at one time a part of the world. But if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, He called you out of the world. And therefore to abandon the ways of the world. If you do that, you will be hated by the world. But why specifically did the world hate Jesus? And what does that teach us about why they hate the church on mission? And that leads to the second reason in our passage. The world will hate us because the gospel exposes sin. The gospel we preach exposes sin. Now, where do I get that from this passage? I need you to bear with me a little bit. We're going to look at Jesus' life 
and then how that relates to the church because that's the way this passage is working. The hatred of the world for us is parallel to the hatred the world had for Jesus. So as Jesus comes on the scene, what does he do? He reveals God to all that he encounters. He's the word of God, of the Father. Everything he says, everything he does reveals God because he was God, the Son of God, who was with God in the beginning, who was God in the beginning. But not only that, he not only reveals to the world God, he also reveals to everybody he encounters the way that we can be saved, the way that we can come to God. He makes it clear that he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Here is God's son who came to save the world. So far, so good, right? But in revealing all of that, he also has to reveal what the world needs saved from. Their sin and God's judgment. And as he makes those things clear as well, the world doesn't like it very much. As he makes it clear that he's the only way to be saved from our sin. As he makes it clear that we are all sinners, even the people that thought they were righteous. And therefore they face God's judgment. They don't like that. Remember what we read in John 3. Pastor Dan preached on it back in December. This is the judgment. The light is coming to the world, Jesus. And the people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Jesus is saying something similar in verses 22 to 25 of our passage. Jesus spoke many words. He did many works that showed that he was from God and the way to God. But in doing that, he also exposed sin. They didn't like that, so they rejected God. They rejected Jesus, which Jesus says in rejecting him is rejecting God. Look at verse 22. If I had not come and spoke to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. What's their sin being spoken of here? It's rejecting Jesus. It's rejecting him as the Christ. It's rejecting him as the son of God. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. That's their sin. It doesn't mean that they hadn't committed sins before. What it means is this. Now that they are confronted with the truth and they reject the truth, their sin is that they have rejected the only one that can take away their sin. It doesn't get any worse than that. What does all of this have to do with the world's hatred of us? Jesus bears witness about himself here. In verse 26, he says that eventually the Spirit will bear witness about him. We'll come back to that. Then in verse 27, he says, And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. All of this gets to the heart of why 
the world will hate the church. As the church takes the apostles' teaching into the world, what will we do? We will certainly announce that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the right life, right? He's the way to eternal life. He's the one who takes away the sin of the world. We'll proclaim that, right? But if we're faithful, we'll also have to make the bad news clear before the good news can be clear. We'll have to tell people that we are all, not just them, us too, sinners who deserve God's judgment. We will have to say that Jesus is the only way to eternal life and to God. And as we do that, many, many in the world, they will not like that. In fact, they will hate that. They will hate that message. They will hate the one that the message is about. And they will hate us, the ones who are carrying that message. The gospel exposes sin. Again, do you want to take an exit off of this treacherous road? There is a way. Simply leave out all of the bits about sin and judgment. Simply leave out all of the bits about Christ's exclusive claims. That's what many are doing with the gospel today. That's what I used to do with the gospel when I was straight out of college. I made it one of my life goals to convince teenagers. I was working with high school students that Jesus was cool. That Jesus was popular. He wasn't here to wreck all of your fun and crash the party. Look at him. Everywhere he goes, he's got people surrounded by him. Which is true in the first part of his ministry. I left out all of the parts about how people started to hate him and shrink away from him as his teaching became more clear and more pointed. My heart was in the right place. But I had truncated Jesus. R.C. Sproul once said, the world can tolerate Christ only so long as he's stripped of his real identity. Friends, the church is called to represent the real identity of Jesus. And we are called to preach the full gospel of Jesus Christ, which announces sin and that Jesus is the Savior of our sins. And when we do that, some in the world will hate us. Which leads me to the third reason the world will hate us. It's because it will think that it's on the right side of history. Deluded. Not just hating what we say, but thinking that we're wrong and they are right. Chapter 16, verse 2, Jesus says, They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. They're not going to think, I'm doing wrong. I hate that person. I'm going to do wrong to them. They're going to think, I'm doing something good by opposing them because what they stand for is wrong. 
Isn't that why the Jews thought they were putting Jesus to death? He's a blasphemer. He's leading people astray. Isn't that what Paul thought as he was killing Christians? He was zealous for Judaism. He thought he was on the side of God. But Jesus tells us those who oppose him don't know God. They think they do, but they don't. Paul wasn't helping God out. He was against God. In our day, things are different. People are not defending their hatred of Christians in the name of the God of the Bible. But the principle is the same. When we talk about sin, which we have to do if the gospel is going to be clear, say the sin of homosexuality, practice. What does the world think? They don't just think we're wrong. They think we're hateful. When we talk about the sin of abortion, they don't just think we're wrong. They think we hate women. When we say Jesus is the only way, they don't just think that we're wrong. They think we're arrogant. So it's not just opposition of us. It's we've got to get these mean people out of the way. They think they're serving God. But friends, it's because they don't know God. So let us not be mad at them. Let us remember that they are blind. They can't see. In fact, they see it so wrongly that they think they are acting virtuously. We shouldn't be surprised by this. We sure act surprised though, don't we? Jesus told us this is how it was going to be. And he taught us to count the cost. Hatred now. Eternal life to come. Is it worth it to stay on the road? But friends, he doesn't want us to only be warned. He also wants us helped. And that's what he does in the last part of the passage. There will be hatred from the world, but we will have the Holy Spirit's help. That's one of the great benefits of Jesus going away to the Father that He says. He'll send the Spirit. It's interesting though. The help that the Spirit gives is not simply to endure the world's hatred, to bear up under its hatred. I think that's true. I think that's true. We sung about that. Abide with me, Lord, in these difficulties. But the thing that's emphasized in this passage is a little bit different. And I want you to get it. You see, while the world hates Jesus and therefore hates God, it doesn't follow that Jesus hates the world, that God hates the world. What does John 3.16 tell us? God loved the world, so much so that he sent his only son, and so should the church then. You see, while the world largely hates Jesus hates God, rejects Him. God has chosen some out of the world to believe. He wants them to come to love Him by coming to know His love 
for them. And so we as the church, we should greatly desire people in the world of which we once were to have their blinders removed to come and to see the light of Jesus Christ. And it is only the Holy Spirit that can make that happen. And thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit. There are three things that I see emphasized in this passage. I'll be a little briefer here. That the Holy Spirit does to help us as we go out on mission in a hostile, hateful world. And they are really remarkable. First, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Verse 8. When the Spirit comes, He'll convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Why does the world hate the gospel? Because the gospel exposes sin and judgment. And it doesn't want to believe that it's sinful and under God's judgment. But if the Spirit gets to work in a person's life, it will help it to see its great need. And that's the first step in conversion. You see... The first work of conviction is not just to put the world in its place. It does that. But it's for a purpose. It's to draw the world to Christ. Verse 9 says, The Spirit will convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. It follows that the purpose of the conviction is that they would come to believe in Him. Verse 10 The Spirit will convict the world concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. I believe the righteousness Jesus is speaking of here is a false righteousness, a self-righteousness. That's what Jesus has been exposing throughout His ministry. Self-righteousness, false righteousness. The Spirit will show them, your righteousness is not real righteousness, so that they see the need for the righteousness of Christ. Verse 11, the Spirit will convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Many thought when Jesus went to the cross that he was being judged. But back in John chapter 12, we see that the cross brought judgment on Satan, on the ruler of this world. Sure, he's still active in this world, but his judgment has been pronounced decisively on the cross. He will one day be finally and fully defeated. He will be cast into the lake of fire for eternity. And all who belong to His kingdom will as well. You either belong to the kingdom of Christ, or you belong to the kingdom of Satan. Satan is judged So therefore, all who do not belong with Christ will also be judged. The world doesn't see this unless the Spirit opens their eyes to see. Second, the Spirit reveals the gospel to the apostles. Verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Earlier, in chapter 14, 
Verse 26, Jesus says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I don't think this is referring to you remembering your memory verses when you're in an evangelism situation, although I hope that the Spirit helps you with that. I think this is speaking uniquely about the apostles. Look at chapter 15, verse 27. We've heard the Spirit will bear witness about Jesus, but the apostles also through him will bear witness about Jesus because they have been with him. They've been with him. They're unique in redemptive history in that they were with Jesus. They saw what he did. They heard what he said. They were eyewitnesses to the whole thing. And then through the Spirit who's working in them, as Jesus promised here, they wrote those things down. They wrote down what Jesus said and what he did in the Gospels. But then they also wrote down what it all meant in the epistles. And we now have their words, which is the very word of God. Because the Spirit was guiding them in that process available to us. The Spirit is still alive and at work in our mission to the world. But our work and our ministry in the world is based off of the apostolic ministry that the Spirit began following Jesus' return to the Father. We go out and bear witness to the truth that has been revealed in the Scriptures. Truth that sets people free from the bondage to sin and the bondage to Satan. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the very power of God for those who believe. And as we go, the Spirit is opening eyes to see that what is here is true, helping eyes to see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through believing, They would have life in his name. The final thing that the Spirit does is to glorify Christ. Verse 14 is almost a summary statement. He will glorify me. All that Jesus has been saying up to this point, the work that the Spirit does in convicting of sin, the work that the Spirit does in leading the apostles to truth and then leading other people in our day to see the truth, all of that is a ministry that glorifies Christ. Many say that evangelicals make too much of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit's job is to make much of Jesus as He is revealed in His Word. The Holy Spirit makes much of Jesus, glorifies Jesus to those who have hated Jesus by showing them their sin, by showing them that Jesus was not an imposter. Jesus was the very Son of God. He glorifies Jesus to those who thought he was a blasphemer by showing that he was God, the Christ, the Savior. The Spirit glorifies Christ. Friends, we have to remember this. This point is so critical to our mission in the world. 
that it is the Spirit's work that gets the work done. Do you believe that? If the Spirit does not convict people of their sin and draw them to Jesus, they will not believe. You did not come to faith in Jesus Christ through your own great assets of faith. It was the Spirit who did the work. And so if the work is going to continue, the Spirit has to work. The world hates the church and hates Christ. But friends, we should not hate the world. We should be filled with compassion toward the world. We should desire for the world the thing that has happened to us. Remember what Paul says about us. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. That's what we were doing. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once walked, is what he says, right? Carrying out the passions of the flesh and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That was us. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. And he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. It is God who did that work from front to back. Not us. We have to remember this, friends, as we go on mission in the world. We have to remember this when we get on our knees and pray. We need to plead with God to do His work among the nations. For unless God acts by His Spirit, people will not be saved. There will be much hatred ahead. You can count on it. But aren't we, many of us here today, testimony that the Spirit works and is continuing to work. Let us ask God to pour out His Spirit on our work. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, glorify Christ in this place. I pray for anyone here today who has not yet placed their trust in Christ, that you would convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment and convince them that Jesus is the Savior they need. We pray this same work among our missions partners. Glorify Christ, Holy Spirit. Help people to see they are sinners in need of a Savior. Draw them to the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen.